0: what are your unconscious biases? And I'm just like, that is such a poor question because you have to know what your unconscious biases are before you can even answer that question.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Another poor question is, when was the first time you used the N-word? That's a horrible question because it doesn't invite the person in. Yeah. And so the questions that I create are ones that help us understand our relationship to white supremacy, our relationship to white fragility. And then that invites someone in to do the writing. And then once they do the writing, when they do reflect, Andrea, when they do provide the reflection, it comes from a place of understanding their humanity.
1: This is Your Kick-Ass Life Podcast, episode number 346 with guest Lisa Renee Hall. This is the Your Kick-Ass Life Podcast with Andrea Owen, a no BS guide to self-help and badassery. Because ladies, let's face it. Life's too short for it to not kick ass. And here's your host, the girl who serves it up straight with a side of crazy, Andrea Owen. Hey there, ass kickers. Welcome to another episode of the podcast. I am so glad that you are here. So the other day, I had to go run an errand that was on the other side of Greensboro. We're we're right outside of Greensboro, so it was like a 30-minute drive. I had to go somewhere, and I had to get on the freeway. And I realized that I have not been on the freeway. I don't think I've been on the freeway as a driver, I think, since March. And I am someone who is lucky enough to work from home. So I have not had to leave the house other than running some errands that are right in my community within probably five or six miles of our house. So I got on the freeway, and you guys, it was as if I had forgotten how to drive. I was. Kind of laughing to myself because it reminded me of one of my all-time favorite movies, Clueless, where Dion and Cher are driving and Dion accidentally gets on the freeway and they're screaming and her boyfriend Murray is in the car. If you're a Gen Xer or maybe an older millennial, you probably know that movie as much as I do. It's on Netflix. I'm pretty sure it's Netflix that it's on. I watched it again with my husband. And that part is so funny. And that was my life for a few moments. It felt very awkward and a little bit scary. I'm like, oh my God, this is, I'm out of practice. I'm very rusty. And I just thought it was funny and wanted to share it with all of you. Anyway, I am really excited to bring you today's guest. Lisa Renee Hall is someone that I have wanted to have on the show for a while. And we finally got our schedules coordinated to be able to have this conversation that is so extremely important. And I can't wait for you all to meet her. So for those of you that don't know her, let me tell you a little bit about Lisa. Lisa Renee Hall has helped over 33,000 leaders explore their unconscious biases using her signature process called Explore Biases Now. Author of 10 books, Lisa was known as a technology pioneer before turning her attention to disrupting the misinformation hard-coded deep in the mind. Her tips have been featured in The Guardian, American Express Open, Globe and Mail, Choice, Ottawa Citizen, Toronto Star, Profit and Inc., to name a few, along with television, radio, and podcast appearances. So without further ado, here is Lisa. Lisa, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. I have been looking forward to this conversation and I think I have so many curiosity questions and then of course things I want to ask you that I've, I've actually experienced and seen in your work. But I want to start with how did you come to this work? Because you used to work in tech, correct?
0: Yes. Yes, that's right.
1: So I
0: was in a place where was it 2015 I think it was where I knew that um something needed to change okay and the clues I was getting that I needed out of tech is one I was getting bored okay (laughs) I had won a lot of awards written a lot of books I was getting (laughs) bored
1: (laughs) you were masterful at it (laughs)
0: yes I was Um, the second clue that i needed to change is that um i just couldn't keep up with the new tech anymore and the 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 industry was becoming so saturated like someone would send a tweet and now suddenly they're so some social media manager or social media expert right. and so it was just like the barrier to entry into tech was now getting lower and lower and lower uh i and um the, I was finding that also that the sales cycles were taking much longer. So instead of closing deals within 90 days, it was taking longer as people had to th- sit and think about it. And then all of a sudden it was like, oh, my son is, you know, into social media, so we'll just hire him. Or oh, assigned to okay. or you know, <laughs> oh, we have a team out in India and they're five bucks an hour, so we'll right. you know send it over. So it was all these signs that was pointing to uh, that my days as tech diva was coming mm-hmm. to an end. But I didn't know what was next. But I just knew that I was unhappy. I knew that I needed out, and uh, also the money was not. Good anymore as well for mm-hmm. me, and and so I found I was struggling financially, I was struggling emotionally, and I
1: needed something else, but I didn't know what it was. Hmm. And so, did you just did somebody else point it out, or did you just sort of say, wake up one morning and say, I, I think I'm going to help people unpack their unconscious bias? Right. Like-
0: <laughs> <laughs> so. <laughs> So it was around 2016 that uh, I had played the organ at yet another funeral. And I had uh, that, you know, it's something I do kind of on the side and people Mm -hmm. hire me to play hymns at a funeral. So, uh, and I'd been doing that for years. And so one of the last funerals I played at in 2016 was that of a young man that had been, and I hadn't, I, you know, I don't know how the person passes on, but eventually it becomes known when I'm sitting there as an organist playing Amazing Grace for the umpteenth time, someone eventually will mention how the person passed on. And so at this funeral, uh, I went 21 years old. That's unusual for someone to die that young. And not unusual, but it's just not, you know, it's too young. Sure. and It is. It is. And so through the tributes and the eulogies, I found out that he was trying to step in to help a friend and he was shot and killed. He was murdered. And so I've heard many tributes. Uh, I've heard about, you know, I went to, I played at an 86-year-old woman's funeral one time and people went up there and talked about her banana bread and how much they're going to miss her recipe I've played at other funerals, you know, someone passed away of cancer and, you know, have heard the tributes about how funny they were and how much they're going to miss their humor.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And they're pretty typical. And, but this one at this funeral, the father of the deceased went up, the, the father of the 21-year-old. And at first his voice was calm as he spoke into the microphone about his son. And then all of a sudden, his, his his tone changed, and he yelled into the microphone, my son was murdered. And he repeated it again, and it jolted me. Because as you know, again, I've heard so many tributes and eulogies, but I've never heard such anger being expressed through one. And so the church was quiet, very quiet. And then the father said something that became the catalyst for my next steps. And he said this, he said, my son left a catalog of songs behind that he never published. And he said, I'm going to spend the rest of my life publishing these songs because that will be my son's legacy. Mm. And so I sat there, Andrea, and I asked myself, you know, as I was driving home, check in hand, just ruminating over what I had witnessed. And I asked myself, what will be my legacy? Is my legacy going to be discontent about being and working in the tech industry that I no longer enjoyed? Or is there something else? Am I going to do something so that I die empty, which is a title of a book. And the concept of dying empty is to ensure that everything that's in your head, the songs that you've never composed, the books you've never written, All those ideas are somewhere written on a piece of paper left behind so that if you cannot get to it in your lifetime, then someone in your family will do that work for you. And so it was a few days later on January 3rd, 2017, I woke up at 4.30 a.m. And my intention was to write a book of fiction, my first book of fiction. And I was pretty good at doing it, Andrea. I wrote one chapter a day for 59 straight mornings. Wow. And it it wasn't 59 chapters. It was, you know, so many chapters. Mm -hmm. And I went back Mm -hmm. and I reviewed and revamped and revised. And then it was on the 60th morning that I woke and I had a professional setback. And I wrote expressively about that. And I didn't feel like it was resolved. So on the next morning, I woke again and wrote about the professional setback. And little did I know, Andrea, that it wasn't about creating characters for this fictional book that I was being called to do, but it was about exploring the character of me. That that's really what I needed to do with this journey.
1: Wow. Yeah. I kind of hate to say it, but you sound like a life coach, Lisa. (laughs) (laughs) I know. And coaching is a, is a label I thoroughly reject. I know and that's why <laughs> that's part of why I was teasing you. But um no, it was just it sounds like a, a beautiful moment that God or the universe or your higher power was conspiring with you. Yes. and and sending you down down the path and and I I want to ask you about a couple of things just you know based on on what you just said but well, let me start here. You you talked about self-reflection, and you know, and you had this this moment of of reflection where you started to write about that to get to know yourself better, and, yes. and you know, where you were, and where you're at now, and where you're gonna go, or where wherever the writing takes you. But I know on your website you you talk about this, and you say by developing a habit around self-reflection, you begin to accept the nuances and complexities within yourself. So can you talk to us more about that?
0: Yeah, as I you know, I, as I continued writing, I I decided that. I was was feeling something. I was like, "Oh, this is feeling nice. I'm, I'm, I'm liking what's coming up." And so I decided to say goodbye to my tech identity by writing a memoir about Mm -hmm. my years working in tech as a black woman with a liberal arts degree, and and I did really well in tech, even though I had a Mm -hmm. history degree, even though I was, um, you know, a minority, being both woman and a woman of color. And I wrote about took me a few weeks to write about all the memories I had. How did I get into tech and all the different characters I met along the way, people who were happy to see me in the field and others who did whatever they could to sabotage my, um, to sabotage me in, in tech. And I still came out on top. (laughs) Mm -hmm, uh (laughs) And, And so I, I wrote, that and I realized that my words weren't just a way to document that experience, but my words were also being used as a way to say goodbye to that. And so, whether or not that memoir sees the light of day, who knows? But what I did know is that when I wrote the memoir, which I called, uh, which had a working title, Operation Bulldoze. <laughs> Because oh it's kind of how I operated in tech. If someone was trying to sabotage me, then I kind of reacted in kind and I always came out on top. And so I was, I was very um, cutthroat and cunning. Really? <laughs> I was in my oh my
1: qu- gosh, that surprises me. I believe you. <laughs> yeah.
0: In my quiet, gentle way. Because my, my goal was to prevent anyone from discovering my secret. Which was that I didn't have an engineering or computer science degree. Oh, okay. okay. And, I, and I I learned early that people try, you know, they were looking for anything. Some people were looking for anything to discredit my existence in the field. Mm-hmm. And when they found out I had a liberal arts degree, then that galvanized them. So yeah, I was I was the gig so, was gonna be up. It, yeah, so my gig was gonna be up. Mm-hmm. So I was like, Yes, I have to make sure nobody finds out. So but as I wrote the um, the memoir, I continued writing about other aspects of my identity. And I realized that I'm not just, as I continued writing reflectively, stream of consciousness writing, I realized that, you know, I'm not just a tech diva. And that's a name that someone gave me. So that's why I'm using it now. Um, that I'm not just a tech diva. That I'm not just a black woman. That I'm just not, that I'm not only just a Canadian. I'm, you know, that... All of these experiences weave together to make Lisa who she is.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And it's kind of weird talking about myself in the third person, but you kind of get it. But so it's kind of weird, right? It, it, but at the same time, it's like, wow, all these experiences have shaped who I am. So it's not that I'm a tech diva only. I'm all these things. And it was like the light bulb went off. It was like, wow, this is, this is the nuance. This is the complexity. These are the layers of who I am. So I can't just answer to being Black woman. I'm mm-hmm. also a Black woman who's Christian, who's a firstborn, who grew up in Canada, who grew up in an urban center, Who who and I can keep going down the list of all the labels. Yeah. And if I attach myself to any one label, then I dismiss the, 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 the fullness of my humanity. And of course, that's the realization I came through as I continued waking up before 5 a.m. to do stream of consciousness writing as I dug deep through the layers of who I
1: am. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. So I want all the people listening who have been putting off journaling (laughs) and poo-pooing it to stop what you're doing and really listen to this because i and and i I say that partly in just to myself, because I know the power of journaling and reflective writing. And yet still, it's sometimes, you know, when my own therapist or or coach will will assign it to me, I'm like, Ugh. I, I I know for me and my experience, I think part of the resistance is knowing that something is going to be picked at, dug at, poked. Yes. Um, you know, it's, it's walking into something for the first time or the hundredth time and it doesn't always make it easier. Sometimes it's even harder, you know, like there's all these sort of layers, like sort of like what we were talking about that, that could be uncovered. And sometimes journaling doesn't, I feel like, yes. you know, uncover a whole lot, but it's the, it's the turtle steps that count. And it's the, to me, it's also the investment in your own life and your own healing and yes. I think it's part of your legacy too, is, is the is the reflective writing and the journaling. And and that's what I ask
0: people to do. Like in my community on Patreon, once a quarter I I run a 10-day inner field trip.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And that term came to me in an interview I was doing with bestselling um, best-selling author Jen Postoloff. And I was sharing with her about the field trip and, you know, 2020, I was supposed to organize these field trips and bring my patrons together in different cities and we'd visit museums or sites of interest where a particular oppression took place. And then, you know, kind of merge the reflective writing with the on-site visit, but then that had all changed. And so I was like, so I said to her, yeah, you know, so what we're going to do is we're going to do virtual inner inner field trips. And I sat there and I was like, Oh, wait a minute. <laughs> That's a thing. And she's like, "Yes, grab it." So on the interview, I I registered a domain name first, and then I went and searched, made sure no one else was using it. But uh, the yeah, so what we do is we go on these inner field trips where we dig deep into who we are, and uh, I give them guided prompts, and and the purpose of the prompts is to help focus in on what to ask your what I call your inner oppressor, Mm -hmm. part of yourself that wants you to align with the dominant culture. And not just wants you, but bullies you and 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 dominates you so that you align with the dominant culture. And why? So it can keep you safe and protected.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I love that you use the word bully because I when you were saying that, I thought to myself, you know, as a white woman, I feel like when we don't listen to that inner oppressor that tells us we need to to align with the dominant culture, it actually in my experience, tells us that we're, we are becoming unsafe if we, if we don't do that, you know, we we are, we're doing it wrong. And, um, I, I love, I just want to highlight, you know, I'm in it, the, and and when we're recording this, it's going on right now, but I'm glad you offer them one a quarter. So when when will the next one take place around October? It'll be September. September.
0: And then the next one after that won't be until January.
1: Okay. So I want everyone to go now and of course the link will be in the show notes and it's it's incredible there's so many things I love about it. I have learned so much from even watching the videos from before before I was in in your Patreon and I could talk to you for two hours. I won't take up that much of your time (laughs) asking you questions about things that things that I've learned and wanting you to share with the people. But they're just going to have to go and 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 sign up for the inner field trip. One of the things I love is that you ask people not to post their reactions, but more so their reflections. So, can you talk about what the difference is? So, when even if somebody's unpacking their unconscious bias with some other race educator, what is the difference between those two things?
0: You know, I, I can tell when someone looks at the reflective when they look at the writing prompt and then you just plug away in the comments. This is what I feel. No, I don't want to know what you feel. I want you to go away, (laughs) reflect, then come back. Because when when someone just simply reacts, then they're going to operate from a place of fragility. Mm -hmm. And the concept of white fragility, that was coined by Dr. Robin D'Angelo. She wrote a book on white fragility. There are some women of color who have a problem with her there's some controversy. There is yeah. some controversy, and it's mainly around the fact that a white woman is benefiting from anti-racism education, yeah. and so there's questions around that. It, I mean, it, it doesn't take away from the scholarship that she's offered, but it's also, you know, please also
1: prioritize books written by people of color who yes, live yes. this experience and Robin our, D'Angelo is not the only person who's written a book about that topic right, too. But yes, right. I appreciate you saying that. So the term was coined by her. Yeah, mm-hmm.
0: she coined it and it's, you know, it's a great term. I mean, it's horrible to be on the receiving end, but, but, the term, but white fragility simply means that um, it's the reaction that white people hear or the, the defensive moves that white people go through in order to shield themselves from the lived experience of a person of color. So they either minimize, mock, diminish, dismiss, you know, the spiritual bypassing, the love and lighting, that all comes into play. And so when we are reacting, when we come into these conversations and just react to what we're seeing, that's where white fragility starts to emerge. And that's the reason why I ask my patrons and whenever I do my workshops that we do the writing first. I will not engage in anti-racism discussions or discussions around racism with anyone unless they first have done a reflective writing session. And so even if a stranger turns around to me and, you know, says, oh, Black Lives Matter, like, I'll be like, first, I'll say, stop right there, sir. Have you done some reflective writing around this topic? <laughs> if not, we are not having this discussion. Because yeah. the difference is once someone goes through a reflective writing session and they reflect on... Racism they reflect on and it's and it's in and a poor question is what are your unconscious biases and it's just like that is such a poor question Because you have to know what your unconscious biases are before you can even answer that question mm-hmm. Another poor question is when was the first time you used the n-word? That's a horrible question because it doesn't invite the person in And so the questions yeah. that I create are ones that help us understand our relationship to white supremacy, our relationship to white fragility. And then that invites someone in to do the writing. And then once they do the writing, when they do reflect, Andrea, when they do provide the reflection, it comes from a place of understanding their humanity. Mm -hmm. And when you can understand that you are a flawed human being, you are not perfect, that you are going to make mistakes, or as I ask people to do to stumble bravely, then you enter these conversations from a place of yeah i'm going to make mistakes yes i understand the flawness of my humanity and thus i can see
1: your humanity in return well that's a big part of the point if i'm you know if i'm understanding everything correctly it's just yes. about seeing each other like when it at the end of the day what it all comes down to is seeing each other's humanity and you know, Brene Brown says it's hard to hate people up close. Um, it sure is, and it's. I, I think that's one of the hardest lessons for me personally to to come to. There's so many. I shouldn't say that's the hardest. There's so so many, and I love that you. I love that you challenge people. I also want to ask you about because you you work especially with introverted, highly sensitive people.
0: Yes, my favorite. And.
1: You know, and I think especially if someone doesn't consider themselves an introverted, highly sensitive person, if they are a white person who's new to this conversation, Mm -hmm. they suddenly turn into one. (laughs) Funny how that happens. (laughs) But um, can you? Did you? Did you start out knowing that you were going to specifically want to help those people, or how did that? How did that come about?
0: Well, it's it's interesting because I. My audience defined themselves. So I kind of did the opposite of what branding people say. So branding people say, okay, yeah, choose your customer avatar, define who they are, and then go out there and create your business around that. But I I did it differently. What I did is I decided to show up as myself. So after I went through my reflective writing, I found that my writings became much more... Uh, consistent. I found that my values started to show through my writings. And so instead of going with the wind, I now stood firm. These are things I believed in. And so I'd show up on Instagram just as I am. Mm -hmm. And then it started inviting people in who are highly sensitive, introverted and people with giant, uh, not giant, (laughs) gentle, gentle and quiet personalities and mm-hmm. so when my community on Patreon was growing and people started using that language, I said to myself, "Oh, OK, well, I guess that's who I attract." So the introverts found me. Yeah. Something about my style brought the highly sensitives. And then once I started to see that that's the language that they're using to call themselves, then I started to center in on that much more aggressively. And there's research out there um, by Dr. James Pennebaker who has done a lot of research on the concept of expressive writing and writing to heal. And he's found that it has as much impact in changing human behavior, expressive writing, as does talk therapy. So meeting with Mm -hmm. a therapist. But on the same token, there's another doctor by the name of Dr. I think Dr. Joshua Smythe, who has found that not everyone responds to reflective writing. And it usually works best for people who are introverted, highly sensitive. And so with both that research, I was like, oh, well, obviously, then let me just be more clear because people would come in, do the writing prompts, and it's like, okay, this is not for me. Bye. And then I started to realize, you know, if I can really center in my message and and really target who this is for, then most likely I'm going to build a really stronger community. And, and when you look at other anti-racist educators, I have the smallest footprint, but at the same oh. token, yeah, I have the small, mm-hmm. have, but at the same token, I have the most loyal audience. Yeah. And why? Because I'm very clear. I'm here to stand with those with quiet, gentle, and highly sensitive personalities to help them stop using their sensitivities as an excuse to disengage Mm-hmm. And instead give them this tool, the inner field trip to help them instead to understand how to nurture their sensitivities so that they stay in this work and stay in the fight for the long haul.
1: Yes. I, I also want to just put it out there that as someone who identifies as an extrovert with a highly sensitive personality... Um, I have found so much value in your work. And so everybody listening, I don't want you to think that, you know, maybe you might not be an introvert, but I I think there is a large percentage of my listeners who are highly sensitive people. And I love that you said, you know, like don't use that as, as an excuse to, to not do this work. Because it's one of the things
0: it's real, oh, right? Please. Sorry, yep. I'm sorry to interrupt. It's um, it's it's real, right? Because for people who are highly sensitive, and 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 Dr. Elaine Aaron is the person who coined the term highly sensitive person, and she's found that highly sensitive seventy percent of them are introverts, thirty percent are extroverts. She's found that we are stimulated; our our nervous system is stimulated by 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 you know violent images. So imagine mm-hmm. watching a video footage of a black person being racially abused, racially harassed. Imagine what the nervous system is going through for other. Yes. If you are a human being, it's going to affect you. But if you're highly sensitive, this thing's going to sit in your stomach.
1: It'll take you out for weeks. It will yeah.
0: take you out for weeks. Mm-hmm.
1: I got taken out for weeks just by watching the Titanic. Like- right. right. <laughs> like the
0: other day I watched just yesterday, I watched a film called wanted starring um, James McAvoy and, uh, Angelina Jolie. And this movie came out years ago. And I was, I love the cinematic style, but then it got to a point where it got very graphic. And I had to turn away because of just yeah. like, boy, I wish someone warned me first. So e- even that, you know, pretend films, fictional films can affect me. So imagine if it's real life. And, and so the yes. goal, yeah. And so the goal is to help give you something that sustains you so that you don't have to watch that violent imagery but you can still stay in the work and understand that it's important to do the work to unpack your unconscious biases, so you stand with and not for Black, Indigenous, and people of color.
1: With and not for. Thank yes. you for that distinction. Yes, it's important. Because it's yeah, it is important. What I was going to say earlier is that you know you're talking about doing this work and people who identify as HSP, I. We tend to, and you know, from my own experience, we tend to feel emotions. I mean, it is a full body experience. Full body. And in one of your videos, I was watching, I think it was a live you had done before, and and I was watching the replay, and you were you were asking your audience about their physical symptoms, like as they start to unpack their, yes. their unconscious biases. Yes. And, and even for those listening who who aren't in your inner field trip yet, but who have maybe followed some race educators on Instagram or they're they're leaning more into the work. And I mean, I'm gonna go out there and put you know on a limb and just say like you're probably feeling this in your body. You know, for me for like a solid week, I had that um, solar plexus, a combination of anxiety as well as GI stuff going on. My palms were sweating. It Uh was it was it really was, you know, just like the adrenaline running through my body. And 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 I I am so grateful that you you acknowledged it and talked about it and, and you did, can you say a little bit more about that? Cause you, what you, what you said was really interesting about what is actually happening in both your nervous system and to the psyche.
0: Mm-hmm. I, I get the question and and the first, I clued in on this uh, about six months after my blog post went viral. So I, mm-hmm. I posted some expressive writing prompts ref- I, and I use re- expressive writing, reflective writing, right. I use it interchangeably. Uh, but I had a blog post go viral in October 2017 with writing prompts. And then a few months later, Leila Saad did an Instagram challenge called Me and White Supremacy, which is now mm-hmm. a New York Times bestselling book. And I was noticing that as she was posting, people would post their, you know, their reaction. And there was a lot of people saying, oh, my stomach, I have explosive diarrhea, <laughs> Yep, mm-hmm. tummy is, you know, I have nausea, uh, wobbly limbs. And, and so people would mention this in passing. And so I noticed that that was also happening with my patrons as they were unpacking using my writing prompts. So I did a Instagram live in 2018. And I spoke to this, why your stomach feels queasy mm-hmm. when doing this work. And you mentioned the the, the solar uh, plexus; those are the chakras, and yeah. for some people, it's migraines. Other people's is mm-hmm. a dry throat or excessive coughing. Uh, the the stomach area, the dig- that's huge, and that's usually the common thread is um, anything having to do with the digestive area. And so, what what what's occurring is that you are detoxing years and years and years of. uh, of being cultured in a culture of white or conditioned in a culture of white supremacy. So as a result of the detox that's taking place, like for the first time you're inquiring and interrogating your inner oppressor to say, well, why the hell are you so attached to white supremacy culture? And now your inner oppressor is being, you know, they're telling you, but it's in a very, you know, confusing, chaotic way. And you're using your stream of consciousness writing to record what you're hearing. And now what you're doing is you're impacting that center of your self-esteem, the center of power and privilege. That's what you're doing when you're questioning a culture of white supremacy and your attachment to it. And because you are questioning this, the, the seat of power and privilege, which is tied to your digestive issue, it's pretty much your detoxing. And as you're releasing that, you're making that part of yourself ready to receive and digest new information. And that new information is the new identity, which for many of us means that we will be without identity for a very long time as we try to get close to what our true identity is. Mm -hmm. Hopefully I didn't confuse you.
1: (laughs) No, it it makes sense to me. I I think it it, it wasn't confusing to me, I think because I've, I've gone through that journey of you know the to me it felt like if i had like i don't know if it's if i there i can find the right metaphor but it's sort of like the open mouth with just the magician that pulls the scarf out you know and it just like keeps coming and keeps coming and it's sort of this this unraveling or undoing of these old identities that have been part of my ancestry for years and years of white supremacy and at the same time i i like too that you said that there's this, there might be this feeling of, of not having an identity for a while. And I went through that. And as a white woman, the experience and realization and the reflection of being both the oppressor and and the oppressed and um, the the understanding of, and I forget the woman's name who coined the phrase, the patriar- patriarchal bargain. Yes. Um, a Turkish and, writer. I don't remember. Mm-hmm, yeah. yeah. It was a woman. Her name starts with an L and I can't remember, but it, um, the feeling the understanding that that white women have made a bargain with patriarchy to maintain some semblance of power and control and in doing so we have turned our backs on black women and for me that was i feel like i'm centering myself in this moment <laughs> mm-hmm. i think that it's helpful you know for the my my white women listeners to understand that concept and understand that it's that your reflective writings are incredibly helpful and also understand, I I mean, I was up in my white feelings for a couple of weeks. (laughs) had to, I had to take a beat to um, do a lot of crying and a lot of, you know, just the physical symptoms uh, and I understand, you know, I I teach shame resilience. So I very much understand when shame is in my body and and having to process that because I know what happens when you try to shove it down and it's not important and I, you know, and, and, and please everyone listening, you already know this, but don't take all those feelings to your black friends. That's right.
0: That's right. (laughs) Leave us out of it. (laughs)
1: <laughs> but I, I just wanted to acknowledge that that might have that might be the experience for some of the white women out there, and it's it's not wrong. It's part of the process. And the there is, yeah, there's you know the the correct places to process that, and um, it's um, it's just the whole, the unpacking. I think is such an appropriate term for the work that you do.
0: Absolutely, because I, and 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 um to just to add to this is that the question that you're asking yourself as you unpack is who am I beyond my skin color?
1: Mm -hmm.
0: Who am I beyond my gender, my sexual orientation, my gender expression? And if these no longer mattered, who would you really be? And that's why the solar plexus goes through such a such a, a you know such pain, like the digestive issues, the the liver issues, the stomach, the bowels, the you know, just constipation or the opposite, you know, as I said, explosive diarrhea. And mm-hmm. because you're now you're now questioning ego, which is the inner oppressor. And you're doing this for the very first time because a culture of white supremacy needs white women to uphold.
1: Yeah.
0: Uphold it. And for throughout history, when you look back at your mothers, your grandmothers, your great-grandmothers, and so on, they have done what they could to uphold and prop up a culture of white supremacy. And by, as you said, the patriarchal, by, by adopting the patriarchal bargain, which is three roles. Either you are a good girl, a sexy vixen, or a mother. Mm-hmm one of those three roles and you play one of those three roles so that you can get some crumbs from the table. Yeah, crumbs. Mm-hmm. Crumbs. And so that's why white women getting free is tied to all women getting free. And that's why for me as a woman of African descent, my freedom, your freedom is tied up in mine and mine in yours. Whatever whatever it is that I can get free on, it's of benefit to white women. And that's why it's beneficial for all women to work together in taking down this system, not Mm -hmm. so that we can reassert power in a new way, but so that we can reimagine a future without bias so that we can reimagine a system without oppression. That has to be our collective goal. Because I don't, I don't want to see white women at the top, and then now they're oppressing me. Right. And just the same, I don't think you want to see black women at the top in power, and now they turn around and oppress you. And I know that this discussion right now is ignoring indigenous women, Middle Eastern women, South Asian women, East Asian women, mm-hmm. Pacific Islander women. I can keep going down the list. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but this is a black woman speaking with a white woman, so that's why I'm, I'm sticking with this dichotomy. So our freedom is tied up in each other. And because Black women and Indigenous women especially can see a future without bias, this is the reason why we need to lead this effort. But it doesn't mean we leave anyone behind. It just means that we can see a future and a system that honors all.
1: Yes. I, if you just want to take over my podcast, <laughs> <laughs> oh. I just love listening to you talk. I love watching your videos on your Patreon where you, you are out. It looks like it's down by a river or a, or a trail or something. It's always
0: by a river. But there's yeah, some, there's some history around why trails are built along rivers in the city of Toronto. Um, and it has to do with a hurricane that blew through in the 1950s. And oh, yeah, a lot of people built homes along rivers at that point in time. And as a result of the hurricane, which was the first hurricane to make it that far inshore, mm-hmm. and it went through, it swelled all the rivers and all the houses along were swept away and many people lost their lives. Oh. So the city of Toronto passed a bill or ordinance back then that said that no homes would be built along rivers. And now the, city, the citizens of the city of Toronto benefit. Okay, good. Because of all the trails that are built along the river. So that's where, that's who will find me often. Yeah.
1: And I just, I love, um, I I find myself personally drawn. I think because of my personality, I find myself very drawn to, to women like you who are um, just quiet and contemplative and, um, but just so impactful yes. with, with, not just your words, but just your, your teaching and it's so incredibly important. And I just want to circle back real quick. The, the Turkish author that we were talking about, her name is, I don't know if I'm pronouncing it right. It's Deniz Kandioti. And in 1988, she, um, she published an article called bargaining with patriarchy. So that's where that term comes from. Okay, I I would love to ask you about you know this goes back a little bit to to the work with you do because am I and and I can edit this out if I'm I'm totally incorrect. Do you still do work with organizations or and things no, like that? Or no, no. Or okay, no.
0: <laughs> no. When I when I started this work, I would work with corporations and teams. I found that whenever I would, I just found it very hard, very difficult. That and. Um,
1: because a lot of those people are like, they're, they're made to be there. Like, exactly. Exactly. Okay. That's they it. They don't necessarily want to. No. So um, I now work Ugh. with
0: individuals who make the choice to be in the rooms with me, to make the choice to be in Patreon with me. And mm-hmm. what I do is um, because there's a demand for the writing prompts, I actually have a certification program where I train leaders, take them through my process, and then they're licensed to use my writing prompts with their teams and their coaching sessions and their therapy sessions. And um, that is a beautiful model for me. Oh, how wonderful. Yeah. So if someone wants to do corporate off, you go. And then one of my facilitators came in and she said, what she does is she, is she works with, she works with corporations and she says it's an opt in that part of the contract is this is an opt in for your employees. And she's found that that's been a wonderful compromise.
1: Oh, okay, amazing! It, yeah, I want to put that link in the show notes too. Um, that your certification um, process for people who are, will be interested in that. Well, let I me say this: you, um, it's oh, go only, ahead. it's only open to patrons. Okay,
0: and okay. patrons have to go through a particular, like the inner field trips. They have to do so many of those before they're actually invited to apply to mm-hmm. become mm-hmm. a certified um, okay. facilitator.
1: Okay, great. Thank you for, for clarifying that. I want to ask you one more question before we wrap up. And and really, it's if, if someone wants to begin unpacking their unconscious biases, what might be some steps for them to take? Obviously, signing up with me yes. in your Patreon. Yes. But but what else? What else can you recommend?
0: So I um, my process follows what I call AIM, A-I-M. Mm-hmm. So taking aim at your unconscious biases. And so the first step is awareness, of course. And that involves becoming aware uh, or, or understanding what privileges you have. Because even I have privileges, and I'm constantly interrogating what those are and how I show up in this world. And part of awareness is to educate yourself and read books and watch films and, and get a good understanding as to what this thing is, what is civil rights, what is, um, what is, what is racism, what is sexism? And, and I cover unconscious biases. So I look at sexual orientation and, and, and homophobia. I look at transphobia. I look at sexism, racism, right? So because that's what unconscious biases are. And not only just around social and biological identities, but I also look at our unconscious biases when it comes to productivity. Like what's our attitude to sleep? What's Mm -hmm. our attitude to taking up space? What about discipline? That's a hard one for a lot of one, for a lot of us. And I don't mean discipline as in punishment. I mean discipline as in, uh, uh, you know, being consistent. So my work really just spans uh, um, quite a bit. And so that's some of the things you'll be working through with me. So In the awareness stage, that's what you do. You become more understanding of your privileges. Most people, once they start with the A, they immediately jump to the M, Mm
1: -hmm. which is to take motion. I'm going to go to the protest. I'm going to donate the money. I'm going to put together Mm -hmm. the anti-racism. That's what I did back in 2017. I just jumped. Well, you know, white saviorism is a thing. (laughs) And, and, And I'm glad you said this because that's where the harm is caused. Right. And so now
0: we see white people launching anti-racism courses. They, oh, they, they're hosting no. po- podcasts when they're, they're saying how to be anti-racist. It's just like, stop. Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> stop. Mm-hmm.
0: So what you need to do after awareness is not jump to the M, but, which is motion, but back up to the I, which is interrupt. And then use a process that helps you to interrogate your own unconscious biases because you don't know what they are. You don't right. know what they are. And I told you, earlier what horrible questions are that don't invite you in and instead work with someone who can help you to interrogate. And there's a lot of great books out there. There's my, and including my community on Patreon, where you'll get some writing prompts that will help you. And, and then once a quarter, again, what we do is we do 10 consistent days together as a community, but you need to have that process to interrupt your unconscious biases. And to do it over the long haul.
1: Yeah. I've learned so many things from you. And I think one of the one of the the latest things that you were talking about fairly recently was about being performative and at the same time like, yes, you're going to be performative. I mean, this is this is at least how I understood it that you were saying, you know, like yes, you're going to be performative and you're going to fall into that. And at the same time you need to keep going. Like it's, it's, it's not so cut and dry where You're doing the work and it's you know, there's a right way to do it where it's never gonna look performative or be performative. Like sometimes it's it's gonna be both, but that doesn't mean that you should stop doing the work. Just be conscious of when you're doing it um or if you're doing it. And did I understand that correctly? That's it. And and one of the writing (laughs) prompts I have in
0: my community is around perfection. And perfectionism is a tool of the culture of white supremacy. And it's where you have to show up and be pure and flawless. You can't make a mistake. And that's why when doing this work, you may post something on your socials and get a huge, nasty reaction and then suddenly it's like, Oh my goodness, I can't do this anymore. I'm yeah, you know, but that's a trait of the culture of white supremacy, which is that you have to show up perfectly. But how can you when you've just woken up? to the fact that you have privilege and it's been harmful to others. There's no way you can be perfect. And in fact, Mm -hmm. perfection is not a human trait. And so once you can accept that you will stumble along the way, it's like learning to ride a bike. You didn't just hop on and then there you go down the street and you're okay. No, there's training wheels. If you didn't have training wheels, maybe a parent or an older sibling or older cousin ran behind you and then let go Mm -hmm. and then you fell, scraped your knee. Did that stop you from riding a
1: bike? No, you got back up. And even elite cyclists still crash sometimes. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> yeah, that's right. You know, the Olympics
0: is, is a great example where people sometimes on the big stage, you know, they're consistent all year round and then suddenly, bam, they have their worst mm-hmm. performance. And then they come back in four years and they're still at it. So that's mm-hmm. what, this that, that's how you should view your quest to become anti-biased, anti-oppressive, and anti-racist. That it's going to be, um, you're going to
1: stumble along the way, but as I said before, just stumble bravely. Stumble bravely. I think that is a, a beautiful end note. So thank you so much, Lisa Renee Hall, for being here. And I, I've said it a hundred times during this, this interview, but I highly encourage everyone to go check out and sign up for your Patreon. For as little as five or ten dollars a month, you can go on one of these these inner field trip writing quests, and those link those links will all be in the show notes. And anything anything last minute that that you need to feel like you you need to say to feel complete.
0: <laughs> I love that. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I love it. But yeah, I I want to just reiterate one point that when you can reclaim your humanity, it'll be easy for you to see the humanity in others, and then it no longer becomes. It no longer becomes a mystery how to become anti-racist, anti-bias,
1: or anti-oppressive. so many links to personal development in in this. And thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And everyone, you know how grateful I am that you spend your time with us here and and with me and my guests. Thank you so much for being here. And until next time, I will see you all out in cyberspace. Bye-bye.